Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And in a week dominated by pandemic news, which is changing moment by moment, we've also had the maiden budget of the new Chancellor and the Bank of England cutting the rate of interest to a quarter of 1%. We also learnt that San Francisco's monthly non-sexual cuddle party for March has been cancelled <laughs> after the city urged social distancing and tech-savvy students whose schools were shut down by coronavirus tried to avoid learning from home by spamming the reviews of their remote learning app so that it would get removed from the app store. Genius. That's clever, isn't it? That is clever. But this week we're revisiting the topic of the gender pay gap and April 2020 marks three years of the mandatory gender pay gap reporting for large employers. Uh, These were first introduced 2017 and have created more transparency on gender pay differences and initiated conversations at the board level in over 10,000 organisations each year. So we we both uh, challenged each other to go and find a a new story on the gender pay gap. And mine, actually, uh, are not looking great. I've got a couple of things, one about the civil service and one about the financial sector and banking. Uh, what, what did you find, Heather? Well, well yeah, I, I spotted uh, I spotted some of those, but I, I found an article that that I thought was quite interesting. Well, there were two things actually. The first one, as a Myers Briggs practitioner, this caught my eye. Um, that there's some research to suggest that your conflict style, the way that you handle conflict, um, has an impact on your leadership potential which in turn impacts on your ability to earn higher salary. Um, the uh, company did, the Myers-Briggs company did uh, a survey. They used data from f- nearly half a million people uh, and they took the Thomas Kilman Conflict Modes instrument, a TKI, mm. online between tw- 2004 and 2019 and they looked at the conflict modes um, within organisations based on um, level within the organisation and gender. And the results revealed that men are more likely to use an assertive mode to deal with conflict than women. This means that when push comes to shove, women are less likely to assert their own needs and are more likely to seek the needs, to meet the needs of, of others, which could mean that they get disadvantaged when negotiating their salary, yeah. for example. Yeah. Um, and at senior positions... Whilst both men and women are more likely to deal with conflict assertively, it does play a part in how leaders are seen by others. Yeah, and what uh, sort of styles are valued. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and so men and those in higher leadership positions tend to be more assertive. Those with cooperative styles, which is what they're saying that you know the majority of the women would have, aren't seen as leadership material yeah. because they're flaky for want of a better word. Um, so I thought that I thought that, that was really interesting because it starts to explain the gender pay gap in more than just gender dynamic. You know, it, it's, a, it's a whole person. That thing. sort of fits into one of the articles I found um, 
it's on the civil service blog uh, on the gov.uk website. It's talking about the gender pay gap in the civil service, okay. which is alive and well. There is a significant gender pay gap. And what they're saying is it's an imbalance and representation with women overrepresented in junior roles yeah. and underrepresented in senior grades, which would sort of tie yeah. in nicely with yeah. what you're saying yeah. is that perhaps their um, collaborative style is not seen as leadership material, hence are not going further up and the ranks. And certainly hasn't been traditionally. One would hope that in a more enlightened society that we hope. start to tap into that, then the balance should should even out. Talking of less um, enlightened society, then we're, we're just turning to the financial sector and banks in particular. Okay. Uh, one particular piece of news that was on the BBC this week, um, it's looking at... Um, the financial sector in particular, financial firms are paying the average man almost 25% more than the average woman. But the worst offender seems to be HSBC with an average pay gap of 47.8%, which is, is quite startling, really. That is that is a massive statistic. And the analysis shows that the bonuses, um, the average gender pay gap for bonuses is 37.7% and that's actually gone up in the last two years. So that gap has widened just on bonuses, never mind the whole package. That's really disappointing, I think. Um, that up there, along with HSBC, um, Lloyds Bank, Barclays, Aberdeen Asset Managers, Standard Life. It, to be honest, all the way down to direct line, according to this graph, on the BBC website, direct line is only looking at around 15%, but that is still a big difference. And we're talking here about gaps for the same job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It, it's very disappointing. It, it, perhaps in a slightly more positive note, yeah. who knows? Please do. Um, yeah, I found an article on a website called Left Foot Forward, um, how a four-day week could fight the gender pay gap. Um, a new book... Uh, looks at the potential equalising effects of a shorter working week. Um, this was published this week. And it, it, effectively, they were saying that um, the gender pay gap, as we know, is is exacerbated if a woman chooses to have children. Um, research by the UK Institute for Fiscal Studies implies that the gap between male and female earnings increases from 10% before childbirth to 33% by the time a child is 12 years of age. Uh, simultaneously upon returning to work, the father of a child can be more likely to be able to continue to work as before with the same hours and the same income. Uh, so the male gets more access to more opportunities because they're they're living this sort of full-time life. Anyway, the book goes in to suggest that if there were a uniform reduction of hours across the board, I don't know whether this yeah. is practical or not, both parties um, would also would be afforded the same opportunity of career progression and the equal chance of improving their own earnings because they'd both be working the same hours. Yeah. But it would allow for that whole childcare thing so if the working week was... A more even split. Exactly. Yeah. So you, you it, it, I just thought it was an interesting concept. How it would work in practice, I don't really know. Um, but people would be able to negotiate their contracts, not based on um, time worked, but on output. And that in itself mm. could even the balance. So 
I don't know. Yeah, it's changing that shift away from presenteeism, yes, isn't it? Yes, exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, I'll put a link to that article on our on our blog, thebusiness.community. But uh, I just thought it was an interesting angle. Yeah, I, I think there's still a long way to go. And obviously, in some sectors more than others, uh, the ONS said that in general, they estimate the gap is about 17%. Right. So, direct line, obviously doing better than than average but um there's a quote here from one of the city's um high profile women uh, dame helena morrissey and she says that some firms are merely complying with the law and don't have or have woolly or non-existent plans to improve and she thinks that that initial year of naming and shaming that that we've had and we, we yeah. you know is all big news um she's quoted as saying that she now thinks it's a blunted instrument Sorry. because there are there are so many that have got this gap now that it, it's actually nobody's really Taking now pushing to to close the gap at all. So I think after three years, we've had a lot of news stories on it and it would be a shame for any of the the improvements and the transparency that's come about to just now be part of a box ticking exercise. Mm. In the news section, I've stuck with the um, the female side of things it was international women's day last sunday yeah and um so i've got, after you've done your little bit i've got some questions about international oh, women's day oh, i okay. want to run by you all right okay Make a note here so I don't so, so i think that partly because of that if it isn't a story about coronavirus it's probably going to be around international women's day um, and there was an interesting article on a website called contractorcalculator.co.uk which is a really interesting website anyway if you are a freelancer um, the headline is maternity rights to be stripped from self-employed women under new conservative law tens of thousands of female self-employed professionals will have little to celebrate on international women's day due to new legislation from april 2020 that will remove the current maternity rights of self-employed female workers. This is as a result of um, some new tax law which is designed to classify self-employed freelancers as deemed workers but which then proceeds to tax them like employees without providing them with the same rights as employees. Now this also, we've talked a lot about the gig economy, freelancing, um, you know, are you, are you actually a freelancer or are you deemed yeah. as, as employed? And of course, there are going to be some, some complications around that because no, no two cases are the same, you know. And whilst we've talked about the onus being put on the... Um, no, no longer on the contractor to demonstrate to the um, procurer that they are not their main client. It's shifted the other way. Um, it, you know, it, it just raises more, it poses more questions than answers, I guess. Um, so, sole traders, similarly, in this story, pay national insurance contributions, which entitles them to claim statutory maternity pay when they take time off to have a baby. But... Under the design of the new rules, their clients are able to classify them as deemed employees and make national insurance deductions and tax deductions at source. So then it's like, well, OK, where where do the employee rights sit to to receive benefits based on national insurance contribution? Yeah. Who's deducting them? Where does the duty of, you know, where does the balance lie? So I just thought it was a really interesting story. So if you are female, if you are a freelancer or a sole trader, 
and you're planning to have a baby, um, th- there's some suggestion that, you know, get a move on. <laughs> okay, so right, so my note on International Women's oh, Day. Oh, go on, yeah. Um, it wasn't me that picked up on this. It was a male colleague in the office. Um, there was one workplace. I was very proud of their pictures. Oh, sorry, two workplaces, two different initiatives. Um, the day after International Women's Day, because um, that was a Sunday, and yeah. um, so on the Monday, one male boss of the company was giving out red roses to all the women. Okay. And another male boss in another organisation had um, arranged for chocolates for all of the women. Okay. What are your thoughts on that? Um, it, it's it's a really difficult one, isn't it? Because there's one argument. I that like says, flowers and chocolates. Yes. Yeah. Add wine, and it would have been. Yeah, perfect. it would have been perfect. A little bottle of prosecco. Um, but it, it, yeah, there's a risk. I, I'm sure the intention was good to celebrate yeah. women, and yeah. you know, to acknowledge you know that they're all great. But one could argue that it actually fuels the um, the female stereotype that here's a rose and that will make you happy, or here's some chocolate and that will make you happy. Yeah, I, I I was quite interested that it was a male colleague that had yeah. picked up on this, yeah. and and he said, oh, I, I think that he was sort of like trying to gauge how he should feel about yeah. it. He said, yeah. it feels inappropriate, and I think what I want to say is that these women want equal pay, not yeah. <laughs> flowers, flowers and chocolates. chocolates. Now, we don't know the situation in those workforces. No, no. They may well have had equal pay, and yeah. and obviously their culture might have a different take on this. But I, I sort of agreed with him. It felt uncomfortable. I couldn't say. And it's nice. You like to get a gift, but then you've got like, well, you know, so you're it's, giving just the women the chocolate. What about the blokes? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the intent. I think the intention was probably... Yeah genuine was it you and I that were having a conversation about um uh, an organization where to celebrate international women's day uh, the organization asked the women to highlight a male within the organization who would help them progress okay and it was like right okay so no, yeah I'm not quite sure it feels uncomfortable but yeah. I can't quite yeah. put my finger so I'm not on here it. on my own merit I'm here so because I'm going I've to celebrate champions. that guy because yeah. he did great work in allowing me to, to yeah. you know, move through the ranks or, you know, progress within the yeah, organisation. Yeah, so like you say, done with a, it's an a intention one. of being yeah. inclusive, like, oh, the men are yeah. great too. Um, and I think with all of these things, it, ha- it has to come back to what was the intent yeah. with anything, um, any type of diversity. You know, if you and inclusion if your intention was honorable you know it, it carries water but yeah. if you were thinking oh i know look at you know let's pat all the women on the head and give them a chocolate <laughs> and that'll shut them up but do you not, not think so. perception as well as important Tr- so yes, it is. You, you might have intended to be really nice and inclusive and yet it came across as a pat on the head yeah well it, it may have been wise to consult with some women. I saw a picture this week of, I think it was in Saudi Arabia, a, a conference about women and every, atten- every, man, uh, every person was a man. 
There were no yeah, women. Now that's just wrong. You know, and I can quite clearly pinpoint why that's wrong. Obvious, yeah, yes. but it's the subtleties, isn't it? Beyond yeah. that, with with your chocolates and your flowers, thing. Yeah. Yeah, but then if they'd all had a can of Guinness, how would that have been? <laughs> I'd have said yes, please, <laughs> to all of them. Yes. So, so if somebody says to me, do you want some chocolate? I'm going to say yes. Yeah. Do you want some roses? Yes. Do you want some Guinness? Yes. Would you like equal pay? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I spotted an arc- article and... Um, it just happens that it was about the civil service as well. So we were talking before about the the issues with gender pay gap in the civil service. This one is is was quite um, shocking, I thought. So article in People Management this week saying that the Department for Work and Pensions has paid out almost a million pounds to employees over disability discrimination cases in the past four years. The DWP have. Yeah. So apparently this is a a BBC Panorama investigation that was broadcast this Monday. Um, The DWP lost one in eight disability discrimination cases brought between 2016 and 2019, which is more than any other public or private sector, public or private sector. Note that in the UK. So more than any other employer in the UK. 134 claims brought by the DWP staff and 17 cases um, the DWP were ruled against. And that's 12.5% compared to 3% of the total number of disability discrimination claims brought against the UK. And I just think it's shocking. You know, this, I, you, you sort of would imagine that the government and the government department should be doing things right they're role models yes and yet to to be falling foul of something as important as discrimination and yeah. disability discrimination is is unforgivable really um and uh, there was a, a, a spokesperson a disability discrimination lawyer um, said that it's horrible irony that a department designed to look after the more vulnerable members of society is constantly falling foul of the Equality Act. And I, th- and I, I actually think it's more than horrible irony. I think it's dreadfully wrong. Mm. I'm really disappointed to, to see that article. And I think that it shows there's something systematically wrong you know, if if that was another organisation and you're looking in and you're looking at those configures compared to the average, you'd go, there's something drastically wrong in that department. Absolutely. I mean, it puts me in mind of, although it's not the same thing, you know, there are some telecommunication organisations who it's nigh on impossible to navigate their telecommunication system in order to speak to a person (laughs) you know and it's like this is what you know this is what they do for a living and it's true of you know the dwp this is what they do for a living and yet though yeah those those figures are are quite yeah damning yeah 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 then um something i've never really considered before and that's the business of woodlands maybe it's got a whole topical discussion coming out of the back of this but this is uh, a publication from the ons um this out this week on the woodland natural capital accounts in the uk did you know there were an estimated 475 million visits to woodlands in 2017 on which the public spent £515.5 million collectively. I mean, that's, that's a lot of money. That's a big figure. The asset value of UK woodlands is estimated to be just under £130 billion. And the business of timber represents just under £9 billion. 
So are these woodland, I mean, is this the sort of, you know, the go ape woodland experiences as well as a walk round? I, I, I'm guessing into National all of those, anything or... that's, yeah, trees in it and that yeah. has been designated as a woodland. Um, but there's some other really interesting figures in here that I, I've not been aware of and I, I'm tempted to go and dig a bit deeper. The removal of air pollution by woodland in the UK equated to a saving of £938 million in health costs in 2017. And the woodland in the UK removed 18 million tonnes of carbon dioxide, which equates um, the equivalent of 4% of the UK's greenhouse gas emissions in 2017. And urban woodland cooled 11 city regions, regions sufficiently on hot days to save 229 million in labour productivity and avoided air conditioning costs. These are the sort of figures I just didn't know existed. And thank you to the ONS for sharing that with us. (laughs) Oh, and one last figure. Woodlands occupy 13% of the land area in the UK, which is 3.2 million hectares, if you didn't know. You're listening to The Business Community on Caron FM. And this morning, I've been out and about at another Aaron and Partners event. We mentioned them a few weeks ago with one of their lunchtime events for IR35. And I thought I'd give a, a quick shout out um, about their Employment Law Roadshow. I've been for the last three, I think this is the third year that I've been. And I would highly recommend it to anybody who's involved in HR. You don't have to be an HR professional, but if you're... You've, got any involvement with um, employing anybody at all um, they do provide a lot of information um, without putting on a a hard sales pitch so sometimes you could go to these information events and uh, ultimately you know that they're trying to scare you into buying their Mm. services and there's certain big companies out there that I don't have to name that you would know instantly you go there and the intention is that you've signed up before you've left the building now I've got to say in, in the three years that I've been going to these events I've never had that experience with them and they're very generous with their information that they give in the presentation and also very generous with the questions that they they're answering as the event goes on you can ask quite a detailed question and they'll do their best to answer so uh, hats off to them and I, I know it's the second mention in 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 a, within a month but you know th- it's actually a very good service and um, given how good these are normally the events are absolutely packed and sadly with the uh, coronavirus stuff that's going on they had a lot of cancellations and also a lot of no-shows as well mm-hmm. and I think um, minute by minute we've got updates on um, what's happening and I think it must be very worrying for um, employers employees uh, anybody um, at all in in um, in any public facing business I think is would be particularly concerned and wondering what they're going to do so we thought we'd do a quick mention as to where you can look for some advice as well um, so personally I've been looking for one of the businesses I work for uh, at the ACAS website and that's updated so I looked yesterday it was bang up to date the advice they were giving and it was very specifically about how you would deal with certain um, pay issues so um, um, paying SSP from day one and one of the things clarified at the Aaron and Partners event today was that applies for all sickness not just if you're off sick with suspected COVID-19 
from from this point, um, as of the budget, um, SSP from day one applies. Um, so if at it least, was a bad back? Yeah, okay. it, it applies from day one. So you haven't got the three-day waiting period. So um, also what happens if you've told staff not to come in and you've told them to self-isolate? You know, what, what are the laws around paying them? Or what if employees don't want to come in because they're afraid? And so some really, really good advice. There always is from ACAS anyway, but some really practical advice on how to handle it. Not least remembering that you might have to deal with any... Um, stress and mental health issues that come as about of this you know I mean people might be worrying about pay they might be worrying about the security of their jobs they might be worrying about the health and well-being of their family and their loved ones so there's a whole lot for employers to consider so ACAS is one good place to look um, the government um, on Dove uh, gov.uk they're doing a daily update at two o'clock and there might be other stuff trickling out as well but the official guidance that goes on the website is being published at two o'clock every day so you need to keep an eye on that as well heather have you got any other suggestions um i think it really has to just be around uh, you know planning don't because it is changing so rapidly it's no good thinking about what shall we do today it, it, you need to have a, a plan as to what you'll do going forward and in in the hope that you don't need to use most of that yeah um and and thinking about i mean i'm involved with the charity you know and if we have to if we have to cl- close because a lot of our service users are in the vulnerable category a lot of elderly people people who have underlying health conditions um you know how are we going to maintain services for them because you know, they still need our services just because we're not able yeah. to deliver them. What can we do instead of? Yeah. If you are... It's going to take some creative thinking. Some creative it? thinking. And, and and also to think about what if your supplier, if you're heavily reliant on a supplier bringing something in to you or an agency or whatever, what are you going to do if they stop? What's your what's your plan? So I think it has to be about planning ahead. And every business is unique. And you you might not get it right, but that doesn't mean to say you shouldn't make a plan. Totally. Because things are changing so quickly. You've got to at least have an idea that you've got to act. So just before we came on air, the news was that um, schools and colleges are being closed in Ireland. These sorts of things weren't known yesterday morning, and now that that's the situation. So I think... Um, if if you're in charge of um, employing people or or even if you're running a business on your own, really have to be thinking about how you can actually be prepared, how you can flex, how you can adapt to changing situations in very short periods of time. Absolutely. It's quite a challenge. It is. The, the one area that I've really struggled to get any clarification on is the scenario where somebody just arbitrarily arbitrarily decides to self-isolate yeah and that's if anybody can get to the bottom of what you do in that in that instance okay so there's a bit of guidance from ACAS and also from Aeron today okay so they were saying that um if they've got no symptoms and there's nothing um where where they've um, not traveled they've not traveled have not come into contact with with um um COVID-19 and but they're afraid what the advice is Meet meet them, not meet them in person, but, you know, sort of try and understand their concerns. But ultimately, they're not entitled to be paid. Yeah. But they are encouraging flexibility. Yep. So understanding their concerns and trying to help. But ultimately, they're not legally entitled to be paid. 
So they at the moment, it, yeah. So so they could take it as unpaid. Encourage leave them to take it as unpaid leave from their holiday entitlement. But but in worst case scenario, it would be an unauthorized absence, which could lead to disciplinary. Yeah, that's my understanding at right. the moment. Yeah. Um, if you're a company and you've told people not to come in, that's a very different situation. Yeah. And I, I suggest you refer to the ACAS website for those scenarios. But yeah, the one where people choose to self isolate. Um, that that is again covered on the ACAS website right. as well, so it's worth having a look. Okay, great. So Look. the other thing I discovered this week um, was a, a lovely little, um, on a lighter note, <laughs> a lovely little documentary on YouTube. It's six episodes called Maddie Goes Electric, and this is brilliant for anybody who's considering getting an electric car, and it, it's delivered by a, la- a lovely smiley lady clearly very intelligent very bright but she's isolated herself from the world of electric cars she works in science she's a science educator but she she purposefully didn't do any research before doing this documentary and this is sort of discussed in in the last episode where she's talking with um, one of her mentors and they were laughing about the fact you know whenever they're having discussions before she made the documentary about electric cars she was had to be sent away so she came at this like a newbie Clearly very intelligent newbie, but she didn't know specifically about electric cars. So she goes through um, choosing an electric car, you know, what sort of things to think about, going on test drives, you know, how to make that decision. And and you sort of live with her as it's delivered, how she has to get to grips with charging it and then getting a charging point installed and how you choose that and then finding charging points around and then how you can go on a long journey with this electric car. It was absolutely delightful. Really, really nice. She she was very pleasant to watch, but it, it was it wasn't um, pitched too low or too high. For me, it just felt like, yeah, this this is me, an intelligent woman, going to research um, a car. I'm going to get a car and I'm going to drive it and I'm going to tell you what it's like. And I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So it's called Maddie Goes Electric. It's on YouTube, all six episodes. If you're even vaguely interested in an electric car, I really recommend you go and look. What have you discovered this week, Heather? Well, I, um, quite unusually for me, I think, I've got a book, uh, a book that uh, I, I don't really know how it, I happened upon it, um, but it's called Ladies Can't Climb Ladders, The Pioneering Adventures of the First Professional Women um, by a lady called Jane Robinson. Uh, it's it's historical, um, so it has an awful lot of um, history in it, but it it talks about the place that women have played in business, engineering, the law, professional services, the church. Uh, and it, it talks a lot, you know, we know a lot about suffragettes and, you know, the votes for women. And we've already, we've been talking today about equal pay, equal entitlements. So, but it, it works through history um, and it talks about, you know, the emancipation of women, then it talks about um, as it brings you on to sort of the sixties, you know, the liberation of women um, and what that meant. But what I what I actually like about it the most is that in the back it's got it, stories of individual women who were groundbreaking in particular areas. Um, for, for example, uh, here we are in gen, in the general section, a lady called Beatrice Holmes um, lived from eighteen eighty four to nineteen fifty one. An endlessly energetic and ambitious woman who virtually virtually educated herself to become a wealthy businesswoman, stockbroker, and entrepreneur. Wow! 
um, what have we got um, in, let's find something a bit more, here we go, a lady called Catherine Parsons, 1859 to 1933, um, encouraged uh, her daughter, who was called Rachel, 1885 to 1956, Rachel became the first woman to read engineering at Cambridge and joined her father, Sir Charles's business manufacturing and designing steam turbines. So yeah, it's full of stories like that. Um, and th there's one excerpt that I just want to share with you, um, which is from around the 1970s. There was a lady who was talking about... Um, an interview that she attended. Um, the British Women's Liberation Movement was founded in March 1970 and, um, and their demands were equal pay, equal education and opportunities, 24-hour nursery provision and free contraception with abortion on request. But the woman is quoted as saying, during a critical interview for a head of department job, I had to admit that I was expecting the result of a pregnancy test uh, as the job was an internal promotion. I was appointed to the job and two days later when the result of the test was positive was asked to resign my promotion or rather withdraw my application and a man was appointed instead. It took me 17 years to get back to that promoted position. Wow. <laughs> and that's in it doesn't surprise me though that's from the 60s 70s yes, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a sort of, it's a, an historical journey through um through the the world of women um in engineering the law, the church, and how they, their emancipation and their acceptance and their progress um, and the part that they've played. So really interesting book. I'll put a link to that um, along with um, the various things that we've talked about in this section on our website, thebusiness.community. This week on The Business Community, we're profiling an international human rights lawyer and campaigner for women's equality. And... Um, You'll guess who it is when I tell you who she's married to. Um, Tony Blair. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So we're talking this week about Cherie Blair. She studied at, uh, she studied law indeed at the London School of Economics and she became a Queen's Counsel in 1995, uh, founding member of Matrix Chambers in 2000 and um, in 2011 she founded Omnia Strategy an international law firm that provides strategic counsel to governments, corporates and private clients. Of particular interest for me as I was doing the research was the foundation and that's sort of where I've um, focused my attention and the Sherry Blair Foundation is rather interesting. What what did you um, find when you started your research, Heather? Well, I, I think I probably found similar things to you, but... Desperately looking for a reason not to like Cherie Blair, you know, just because it's like, well, OK, you know, she's hugely successful. She's she, she's clearly very good at what she does. Right. There, you know, there's got to be some reason not <laughs> to like this woman, um, um, regardless of her, her p political leanings, whatever, you, you know, whatever your politics are. Um, leave that to her husband. Um, I looked at the foundation and I looked at the law firm that she set up. There's no doubt that, you know, she she's a she's a serious player you know she's yeah. she's um she knows her stuff um but she founded omnia strategy and so i thought oh well, I'll, I'll have a look at the team uh so the, it's a team of around 20 people um 13 of which are men and seven of which are women so the imbalance there is that perhaps something to do with the um the law 
um, uh, sector uh, as yeah, a whole? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, rather you know, than choice of the company. Absolutely, yes. And when you look at, and I don't, you know, when you look at the photos of the people in the team, you know, a lot of them look like you would expect. <laughs> you know, a high-ranking, you know, high-flying solicitor to look. Um, so I thought that was interesting. So I thought, right, I'm going to do the same exercise now with the Cherie Blair Foundation, a bigger team, um, inc- including their sort of trustees and advisors, a team of 28, 22 of which are women and six are men. Okay. So that I felt that okay, you know, that redresses the balance. Um, but it's it's the 100,000 women campaign that yeah. the um, the foundation uh, is, you know, is working on that I think is, is really interesting. I mean, it's been running for 12 years and, and its aim was to help women to build small and growing businesses in developing and emerging markets. And I've just read straight from their website there. Um, and that is so that they can contribute to the economy and have a stronger voice in society. I understand, according to this, that Sheree herself is actively involved in the foundation. It's not just set up in her name. Um, She's um, been involved in travelling internationally and visiting the projects and speaking around the world. Uh, She's an ambassador for women and entrepreneurs around the world, as well as encouraging other non-profits and corporations Mm -hmm. to support women business owners. So I was having a look at some of the numbers that they... Uh, they've published their reach and impact on entrepreneurship programs. Um, they reckon they've reached 116,000 women through mobile technology program. Uh, 2,500 women have been trained as mobile money agents in Nigeria. Uh, 145% is their estimate of the increase in value of transactions processed by women mobile agents in Nigeria. And... 1,800 women have been supported to manage an agricultural supply chain in India via a mobile app. So it, it's this support. Uh, yeah. It seems to be a heavy um, technological element to the support that's been provided as well. Um, and I had a look then at the mentoring programme. So mentoring is a really big part of the entrepreneurship support. And uh, they actively recruit for mentors from around the world and um, they have a selection twice a year. One's coming up, May and November, and they, they're actually recruiting at the moment. So um, this Monday, um, applications open for mentors for the programme. And it just takes 20 minutes to fill in an online form if you're interested. So if you would go to um, the Sherry Blair foundation.org website you can find the online application form there Um, and closing date is the 6th of April so you've just got under a month there to do the application and um, then the training that you get is online um, and that that's um, looks like it's short and sharp because the training closes on the 20th of April. So presumably once you've been selected, you get straight into right. the online training. Um, and then they, they're doing the matching on Friday, the 29th of May. And it looks like you've then got a year of mentoring, end of mentoring year, May 2021. Oh, it sounds like it's mm. been well thought through. They've got a programme in place. Um, the online training takes about two and a half hours to complete. So it, it sounds like if you're interested in getting involved in mentoring and broadening your horizons, even with the mentoring that you do, that might be a really interesting route for you to mm. uh, go down. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, I found an interesting fact about Cherie Blair and her husband, former Prime Minister Tony Blair. Um, there was an article that, that was saying that she... Uh, one of the few first ladies to convincingly step out of her husband's shadow. Perhaps that's because she was never in it. In the same year that they that's met, a really good point. She became a barrister um, and was the only wife of a prime minister to work full time while her husband was in office. And I think look at the parallels with Hillary Clinton. Now she she wasn't in his shadow before he went into office, mm. but it was almost expected, and she yeah. she then did go into his shadow. So it's quite pleasing to see that Cherie Blair carried on. Yeah, with I mean what we she was doing. Yeah, I mean the um, the term first lady is something that you know that comes from America. We don't have a first lady. It is not an official role. You're just the the wife or the partner or the husband of the prime minister. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. She was never in it. She was a barrister. That's it. Um, yeah. <laughs> a but very like, successful one by all yeah. accounts as well. I've actually been in the same room as Sherry Blair at one point oh, in my life. How come? Well, she was an ambassador for London 2012. Okay. And I was um, providing um, sort of support to a lady who was also an ambassador for London 2012. So I, I accompanied her to the event, which was at Lord's Cricket Ground. And there were loads of like celebs there. Oh. I was more interested in some of the other celebs, if I'm honest. But yes, um, Cherie and Tony Blair were actually at the event, as well as Steve Redgrave as well. Oh, so. crikey. You remember him because he's really tall. Oh, uh, yeah, I imagine <laughs> that he is. Yeah, OK. And some of the best canapes I've ever eaten. <laughs> Sticks in my mind now how good the canapes are. And you realise how well the other half live. <laughs> Well, okay. that's all we've got time for this week. Um, uh, do stay safe and um, do tune in next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.